let me let me try to uh, draw it out more. So he speaks in terms of proposals. So you understand in your interior life when you have thoughts or feelings or desires, something is being proposed to you. So the kid on the playground, what's being proposed to him is you should help. And the other proposal is if you help, it's going to be bad for you. Don't help. Our thoughts, our feelings, and desires propose stuff to us. They're not just warmth. They're not just reasons. There's proposals to us. And when, it, when the source of those proposals is the good spirit, we consent to what's being proposed. And when we do, we are given more life. When we don't, heart, life is taken away. But it's about the proposals that are coming through your thoughts, your feelings, and desires. That's how God speaks. That's how the spiritual world speaks to us. Okay? Um, let me give a biblical example. You all know this. It's one of my favorite uh, favorite stories the prophet Nathan sent to David. Do you remember David? Uh, David has now become king. King Saul is killed. David becomes king. And now he's gotten fat and lazy. So he's destroyed all his enemies. And now when his army goes out to fight, he doesn't go out anymore. Instead, in the evening, he gets up from a siesta. He sounds like a college kid. So it's the <laughs> evening, he gets up from a siesta, and he's strolling around on his palace, and he sees this beautiful woman bathing, Bathsheba. And guess who works in his imagination? So he says to his, who is, who is she? It's Bathsheba. She's the wife of Uriah the Hittite, one of your generals. Have her, have her come up. Because after all, this is going to really, really be something good for him. Well, she gets pregnant, tells him she's pregnant. And so now, huh? now he's moving away from God. So now he has Uriah the Hittite come up after they get back from fighting gets Uriah drunk and says, Uriah, you go, you go stay with your wife tonight. Hoping, of course, Uriah sleeps with his wife and when the baby comes, he thinks it's his. But Uriah, being a good man, says, no, the other men can't go home uh, to their uh, wonderful wives. I'm staying with them. And so he doesn't go home. And he tries again, 
He won't, because Uriah is a good man. So now he just keeps moving from God, and the enemy keeps saying, hey, we'll do this, do this, do this. And so what does he do? He sends out his troops and tells the others, you let Uriah lead, and then when he gets out in the front, you all pull back and let him be slaughtered. And that's what King David does. And then this happens. It's one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. The Lord sent Nathan to David. And when he came to him, he said, David, judge this case for me. In a certain town, there were two men, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had flocks and herds in great numbers, but the poor man had nothing at all except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He nourished her, and she grew up with him and his children. She shared the little food he had and drank from his cup and slept in his bosom. She was like a daughter to him. Now the rich man received a visitor, but he would not take from his own flocks and herds to prepare a meal for the wayfarer who had come to him. Instead, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and made a meal of it for his visitor. David grew very angry with that man and said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this merits death. He shall restore the ewe lamb fourfold because he has done this and has had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are that man. Says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king of Israel. I rescued you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your Lord's house and your Lord's wives for your own. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were not enough, I could count up for you still more. So why have you spurned the Lord and done evil in his sight? You have cut down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You took his wife as your own, and him you killed with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me and taken the wife of Uriah to be your wife. Then it says, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan answered David, The Lord on his part has forgiven you, you shall not die. But since you have utterly spurned the Lord by this deed, the child born to you will die. What I'm getting at is this. When Nathan said, You are that man, a deep spiritual movement occurred in David's heart that pricked his conscience make him return to the Lord. And guess what he wrote after this? Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, God, in your kindness. In your goodness, blot out my offense. But wash me more and more from my sins. And from my guilt, cleanse me. Etc., etc. Do you see that? My point is this, everyone. What happened in his soul wasn't just Nathan's words, <coughs> bless you, that God acted in him. Okay? 
Here's another one. Here's another one. <clears throat> the rich young man, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is a good guy. Jesus answered him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not kill. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. You honor your father and mother. The young man replied and said to him, Teacher, all of these I have observed from my youth. This guy is really trying. He's moving toward God. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You are lacking in one thing. Go sell what you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At that statement, his face fell. And he went away sad. Whatever acted in him there wasn't the Spirit of God. Something told him to give up material things and get Jesus in return isn't good. So even when he's talking to Jesus, the other spirit can still come in and make him sad. That makes sense. So this was a guy moving toward God, moving toward God, the Holy Spirit moving toward him. Jesus looked at him with love. And yet the enemy said, no, you can't give up your F. 350 for Jesus? Are you crazy? Do you really think God can give you more than a pickup? It's insanity. But we fall for it all the time. Okay? What I'm trying to impress upon you, dear college students, is this. When I lived in, when I was your age, I just thought this was all psychological, emotional stuff in me. Caused by me. And I was fighting with myself. You're not just fighting with yourself. And you're not just the one perfecting yourself. Okay? Next, rule three. Rule three. Ooh, go up into the second rule and circle consolations. Circle consolations and then draw an arrow down to rule three where it says spiritual consolation. So what St. Ignatius did is, what St. Ignatius is doing is this. He said for a person moving toward God, God does all this. He gives courage, he gives strength, he gives quiet, he gives tears, he takes away obstacles, he gives consolations. And now for the rest of the rules, he took consolation 
He took that one out of that list and it's gonna be the main interior experience he uses to describe how God acts in us. Okay? By spiritual consolation. And he says this, I call it consolation when some interior movement is caused in the soul through which the soul comes to be inflamed with love of its creator and Lord. And constantly when it can love no created thing on the face of the earth itself, but only in the creator of them all. Once again, uh, college students don't somehow think, gosh, I'm not that, that, this doesn't apply to me because I'm not at that level. To, to level it off a little bit, and um, to see that this applies to a person who's trying to uh, move toward God. Likewise, when it sheds tears that move to the love of its Lord, whether out of sorrow for one's sins or for the passion of Christ our Lord, or because of other things directly ordered to his service and praise, finally, I call consolation every increase of hope, faith, and charity and all interior joy that calls and attracts to heavenly things and to the salvation of one's soul, quieting it and giving it peace in its creator and Lord. Hey, this is a consolation. You get up, you get up early, you have your cup of coffee, you watch the sun rise, and you have a movement of Wow, do I have a good life. I'm blessed. That's spiritual consolation. Or you're having a tough time, and there's this thought, God can help me. And there's an uplift in your uh, heart. That's spiritual consolation. It's not just mountaintop experiences, everyone. Huh? It's what St. Ignatius experienced uh, lying in that bed. So, this is about, this has to do with the relationship on an affective level. Huh? And we already talked about that an affective level. Affective movements are thoughts, feelings, and desires that have an affect. Now consolation, consolation comes from cone sole. So St. Ignatius is saying this, this is incredibly Exciting. St. Ignatius is saying this, dear students, anyone who's moving toward him, God causes spiritual consolation. Anyone moving toward God, what does God do? How does he act? He causes spiritual consolation. And consolation means with the sun. Sole is sun. Solar. With sun. In other words, a consolation is something that causes warmth. Warmth. Light. 
energy uplifting cheery for one who moves toward God this is what God does in the soul encouragement Warmth, light, energy, uplifts, encourages, cheers. That's how God leads us. Any thought, if you're moving toward God, any thought, feeling, or desire that gives warmth, light, energy, uplifting, encouragement, cheery, in regard that that directly affects my relationship with God, you know that God caused that in your soul. I want to go to Mass, spiritual consolation. Attraction would be another one. Does that sound like a taskmaster? Does that sound like someone who wants to put a burden on us? Does that sound like someone who's trying to oppress? That's what God is like in the soul for one who wants to stay with him as their greatest good. Console. Spiritual consolation. I call it consolation when some interior movement is caused in the soul through which... So, so how about this? When you have a thought, I'm never going to... I'm never going to learn how to pray. Does that sound like that? No. So then, for one who is moving toward God, they become aware of spiritual movements. These, when they become aware of a spiritual consolation, so let's say, let's say a college student, you haven't gone to Mass for uh, a year or two, you go to a wedding, you go to a funeral, and you're consoled, and in that consolation is, I really want to. I really want to start going to mass again. You're attracted to it. Guess, guess who just spoke to you? God. And if you don't follow it, you're not following God. And if you do follow it, you're following God, not a rule. You're following God. Or this, huh? Uh, like all of us, we do stupid stuff. 
And uh, in the midst of that, in the midst of that, there's a certain uh, excitement of I should go to confession. I want to go to confession. And there's a, an excitement there. In the midst of telling uh, God in your soul how sorry you are and you don't want that anymore, there's this excitement. I'm going to confession. It's been four years. I'm going. And there's this. But then on the way, there is, ah, maybe I'll wait. What's happening to you isn't psychology. It's spiritual movements fighting over your soul. That's why this is the most important class we'll ever take. It's worth your whole year of tuition. <laughs> No, think about it. Think about it, you guys, if you're not convinced yet. How does, how does God draw a young woman and a young man together to draw them into this radical, crazy, out-of-your-mind commitment of marriage? Through consolation. Through consolation. couple that comes to me and says, uh, and I ask him, why do you want to get married? Uh, because uh, the thought of marrying her causes me to be real heavy, dark, depressed, <laughs> <laughs> miserable. Oh, yeah, God's drawing you, that's for sure. The enemy in us is what makes God, tries to turn God into the taskmaster. It's the enemy. That's what he did with Adam and Eve. He's ripping you guys off. Why doesn't he let you take from the tree? He's keeping something from you. But when you take it, your eyes will be opened. Oh, those goods were really delivered, weren't they? That really satisfied them. They were really glad they did that. Huh? Or you go, yeah, you go on a retreat. You have a retreat or something and in you is this I want to spend I want to spend 10 minutes in prayer each day. I'm excited. I have energy. I have uh, attraction to that. That's coming from God. That's not just positive thinking. It's that beautiful and the stakes are that high. I'm not just breaking a commitment I made to myself. 
I'm choosing not to move closer to God after he revealed how I move, I, that what he wants me to do to move closer to him. So now, you should be getting, uh, for, for Ignatius, for Ignatius, what he, what was most important to him wasn't an examination of conscience, but an examine of consciousness. This is a bit of a digression. Uh, but uh, what's an examination of conscience? When you do your examination of conscience, students, what are you examining? When you're examining your conscience, you're examining what? Who, who, is, the, who is the subject? You. So you're examining what you chose, right? To examine your conscience, to examine your conscience is to examine, it's to examine your moral choices. For Ignatius, for Ignatius, he demanded every one of his Jesuit brothers to do an examine of consciousness. And Pope Francis does this every day. An examine of consciousness, which is examining the spiritual movements that are pre-conscience before you choose. What was the movement in my heart that I didn't follow, or I did. What's an example? What's an example? Um, oh. These are pre-conscience movements. So, I get up in the morning, Father Johnson, my associate, uh, emptied the dishwasher. At uh, one point was, uh, I should thank him. That's the thought that comes into my, I didn't. The examination of conscience is focusing on the proposal that was happening before I chose to recognize where God is working or where the bad spirit is. Okay? That was a digression, but I'm not getting a paid thing, uh, getting uh, paid a bit, so I can just do whatever I want tonight. Okay, so here we go. Um, did we just finish third rule? Yeah. So spiritual consolation. Before we move on, God, only God, causes spiritual consolation. We don't. The enemy doesn't. God causes spiritual consolation. God leads by spiritual consolation. 
Fourth rule. The fourth rule is about spiritual desolation. I call desolation all the contrary of the third rule, such as darkness of soul, disturbance in it, movement to low and earthly things, movement to low and earthly things. I should go pray, no, I want to watch ESPN. Disquiet from various agitations and temptations. Moving to lack of confidence without hope, without love. Finding oneself totally slothful, tepid, sad, and as if separated from one's Creator and Lord. You feel distant from God. For just as consolation is contrary to desolation, in the same way the thoughts that come from consolation are contrary to the thoughts that come from desolation. So desolation, uh, guys, is the opposite of consolation. So without warmth, cold, without lightness, heaviness, without uplifting, but discouraging, disheartening, Not cheery, but sad. Now write these words down. God never, ever, 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 and you have to have that many evers, causes spiritual desolation. He never, ever causes spiritual desolation. He allows it, but it is always the activity of the enemy. Did you hear me? It is always the activity of the enemy. God never leads us by spiritual desolation. say that but maybe I will let me let me just keep going and see if I answer your question so so now everyone I we just went through don't let me forget I want to talk about spiritual versus non-spiritual okay so we have spiritual consolation spiritual desolation Spiritual consolation, everyone, is filled with thoughts, feelings, and desires. Those thoughts, feelings, and desires cause warmth in the heart. They lift up your heart. They encourage your heart. They give attraction and energy to God and His will and everything involved in it. To good and holy things. You following me? Spiritual desolation, spiritual desolation causes heaviness, discouragement, darkness, 
lack of confidence. Huh? Spiritual consolation, a good word for me, what, my, what it's like in me, spiritual, is confidence in the goodness of God. Confidence in God. Fire in the belly about the goodness of God. Desolation is lack of confidence about God's goodness and what it can do for me. So spiritual desolation is filled with thoughts, feelings, and desires that have a negative effect, that negatively affect my relationship with God and its will. So when these are going on in you, when you, these are going on in you, and you follow these thoughts, feelings, and desires back to their source, like a crick, back to its tributary, and you go back to the main river, okay, if you follow the Missouri long enough, it hooks into the Mississippi, and then down into um, the ocean down there. What is it? The Gulf of Mexico. I have Caribbean. Gulf of Mexico. The Gulf, the Gulf of this tributary is the heart of God. It came from God's heart. And to obey these thoughts, feelings, and desires is to obey the heart of God. These thoughts, feelings, and desires, if you follow them back to their source, they come from the heart of the enemy. The enemy against your human nature. And when you consent to them, it hurts you. Now listen closely. So you don't get so this isn't this isn't about just following feelings. That my road to heaven, being with Jesus, is just this warm Disneyland experience all the time. Ah, we're going to get to rule 5, 6, 7, and 8. But here's the kicker. Here's what a person with faith does. When in times of consolation... No, I can't do it. I'm going to rob all my thunder for rule 5. I'm getting into rule 5 already. Okay, but you're following that. Because here's what's going to happen, dear people. The Lord's going to pull back. He's going to pull back and let you be without heartfelt consolation. And he's going to allow spiritual desolation. You don't cause spiritual desolation. The enemy does. And God's going to allow it to happen. Why? Listen closely. To see if you're willing to live by faith rather than feelings. Because 
when desolation comes, it's proposing the contrary of this. And so God is saying, are you going to believe who I am? Are you going to believe me? Or only when you feel warm and fuzzy? In these, there's going to be warmth around, yes, I want to, you know, do this, give up this, uh, serve this way, blah, 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 in a good way. And then, that's what these thoughts, feelings, and desires were filled with. But then when desolation comes, all, those, all the warmth around these thoughts leave. But if you live by faith, you know where they came from. And it hasn't changed. And so you stay faithful to God, even when you no longer feel that around those thoughts, feelings, and desires. That's how you stay faithful in marriage, dear people. That is why it's so important for two people who get married understand that they were drawn together by God and not self-centeredness. That it was God in them that brought them together. And when this stuff goes away, I don't care. I'm faithful to God who brought us together. And it will come back if I'm not a wuss and don't live by feelings. Is this making sense? You know what else St. Ignatius used to do? He said, a Jesuit at any moment should be able to say, when you ask him, desolation or consolation? I've been in desolation for the last uh, four hours. You, consolation the last two days. So the guy in desolation is just rejecting the stuff that's coming in being faithful to what was revealed in consolation. <clears throat> you got it? Now to rule five. <clears throat> Students, if you have questions in your head that you're not asking, I'm going to be mad at you. You better be understanding this stuff. Because you won't go to heaven if you don't. Fifth rule. The fifth rule. Huh? The fourth rule. What's it like in me? Guys, what, it's, what, what spiritual desolation is like in me is being held back. Just being held back. Feeling trapped inside, can't connect feeling separated from God, sadness, because I no longer experience the love of God or his presence, and it saddens the, 
heck out of me. So that's uh, what it's like. It would be really good to know what desolation is like in you. And it's possible that some of you have been in desolation for 10 years. And you just go into a quiet, rip dead resignation. What the hell? The best I can hope for is, you know, just whatever. That the promises of God don't apply to me. I've lost all confidence in God being able to do for me what he did for Jesus. And so I just seek false consolation. What is sin? Sin is seeking false consolation. Sin is seeking false consolation. I'm going to console myself. I feel lonely and it hurts. Fifth rule, the fifth. By the way, if everybody followed the fifth rule, all wars would be over. The fifth rule of St. Ignatius would solve 94% of the world's problems. I can't somehow give any scientific evidence for that, but here we go. The fifth rule, in time of desolation, he means spiritual desolation. In time of spiritual desolation, never make a change. You should underline that, circle it, block it, put a star by it. Bracket it, bold it, and italics. Italicize it. In time of desolation, never make a change. But be firm and constant in the proposals and determination in which one was the day preceding such desolation. If you went to Ash Wednesday Mass, and at Ash Wednesday Mass, after receiving our dear Lord, you go back to the pew, and you have peace and stillness and quiet, and in that, there is, I'm going to take a cold shower every Friday. That's what I'm doing for Lent. You better do it. When desolation comes, nah, maybe that's a dumb idea. Never make a change. But be firm and constant in the proposals, in the proposals and determination in which one was the day preceding such desolation. Or in the determination in which one was in the preceding consolation. Because, as in consolation, the good spirit guides and counsels us more, so in desolation, the bad spirit, with whose counsels we cannot find the way to a right decision. So what he's saying is this. Consolation comes around. Consolation comes around in your thoughts, feelings, desires. There's this, yeah, that's what I want. That's from God. Now it goes away, desolation comes, and now it's saying, change that. 
what God revealed to you. Nah, that's not, um, no, that's a dumb idea. And so you can never advance in the spiritual life because God gets you to take one step ahead. The enemy gets you to take one step back and just go back and forth. Hmm? You want to see how it works? This is the Bible, everyone. You've seen it before. Here it goes. Chapter 4, book of Matthew. You don't think God acts this way? Here's what happens. Then Jesus, whoops. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, yet you are coming to me. Jesus said to him in reply, Allow it, for this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. After Jesus was baptized, he came up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened for him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. Do you think Jesus was consoled? Yeah, that would be pretty consoling. Next line. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Why? God said, you're my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. I take care of you. Now get into the desert and prove that you believe what I just told you. Here's how you become a saint, everyone. In Ignatian terms, here's how you become a saint. You become a saint by accepting, embracing, believing, consenting, receiving, whatever other verb you can put in there, consolation, spiritual consolation. What makes you holy? By enjoying, embracing, consenting, believing, spiritual consolation. When you feel closest to God, when you feel close to God, dear people, ladies, and in you, you feel beautiful. That's the truth. You are. That's from God. And then when that leaves and you don't feel beautiful, and then you believe you're not, you've just been unfaithful. You're now believing what the enemy says you are. And he's the prince of lies. And he pisses me off. And you shouldn't believe him. You become a saint by embracing consolation, believing it. It's not a fairy tale. And rejecting, resisting, renouncing, 
uh, refuting. Um, turning away from. Not believing. Not considering. This is fun. Etc., etc., desolation. What's being told to you in desolation. You know what the earliest creed is in the church? Earliest creed in the Christian church. It's not the Apostles' Creed. The Nicene Creed, huh, is in the 300s. It was finished at 381, the Council of Constantinople. Apostles' Creed predates it, of course, from the Apostles, first century, early second century. The first creed, dear people, by the Christian people, the friends of Jesus, is the baptismal promises. The baptismal promises. And the first question asked in the baptismal promises, do you reject Satan? If one doesn't know how to do this, one does not know how to receive Jesus. So one becomes a saint by following consolation and by rejecting what's being told to you in spiritual desolation. I don't know about all of you, but I want you to know for me, for Monsignor Tom Richter, following Jesus, following Jesus, the primary thing I have to do to be faithful to Jesus is reject spiritual desolation. That's why all the fluffy preaching in the 1970s and 80s, you guys weren't even born yet, the fluffy preaching, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you, God is love, God is love, God is love, that's true. But there's, there's another side to it. There's an enemy. There's an enemy that needs to be rejected. That needs to be rejected. If you follow rule five, you just start applying it to your life now. Just start following it. And you don't change. I was vocation director for 11 years for the Diocese of Bismarck for young men thinking about the priesthood. And here's what would happen. A young guy would, over uh, uh, a certain amount of time, sometimes years, through pattern consolation, huh? when he'd feel when he was close to God, and uh, his heart was attracted to being a priest. Over a period of time, he, it became clear. He would come in to sign up to, to enter the seminary. And then all heck would break loose. Yeah, Monsignor, maybe, maybe next year. Yeah, I don't, 
I, I, I don't think I'm holy enough. It's how it works. And it's not just the lunatic ravings in our heads. It's spiritual movements. Got it? And rule five says this. What was proposed to you in spiritual consolation, when that leaves, when that leaves, and now being faithful to God isn't fun. Now there's something in me saying God isn't with me. Blah, blah, blah. And this comes, I remain faithful to these. I don't make a change. So, huh? back to the confession thing. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm, I'm going to the penance service for Lent. I haven't been for six years, and I just heard uh, this wonderful class on spiritual discernment, and I'm attracted, and son of a buck, I'm going, I, I want to be close to God, etc. I need his mercy. And then, as it approaches, this starts to happen. The rules for discernment of spirits says, if you want to be with God, be faithful to this and tell this to shut the heck up. Okay? Well, that's no small accomplishment. My hope was to get through Rule 5. Guys, that was my, that was my primary goal. So, ooh, yeah, I would have failed you. Some of you would have. Whoops. <laughs> okay. Um, ah, here, important distinction. Thank God I remembered this. Some of you would have gone to hell if I would have forgotten this. Here. Spiritual versus non-spiritual. Spiritual versus non-spiritual, guys. What we're talking about is spiritual consolation, spiritual desolation. Spiritual are movements, thoughts, feelings, and desires that directly affect your relationship with God and His will in a real wide way. Don't think of it so small. Non-spiritual are thoughts, feelings, and desires that don't affect it. And St. Ignatius isn't saying don't change non-spiritual. He's saying don't change what was revealed in spiritual consolation. You might need to make some changes on a non-spiritual level. Huh? So you get all fired up. You get all fired up about um, I'm going to... Uh, well, a non-spiritual non desolation would be what most college kids live in most of their life. They go to bed too late. They don't get enough sleep. And because they don't get enough sleep, they lack energy. They lack this. That isn't directly affecting their relationship with God. But it can flow into it. 
So the whole day, the whole night, we've been talking about spiritual consolation. Now one needs to be careful with non-spiritual desolation, non-spiritual consolation, because it can easily lead into the other. And so in Rule 5, um, Rule 5, uh, Ignatius is saying what was revealed in spiritual consolation, not non-spiritual. Your F-350 gives you non-spiritual consolation. Vain people get all kinds of non-spiritual consolation on how they look. That's what vanity does. Hmm? Um, it's non-spiritual consolation. It makes me feel good about myself. But it's not a consolation that leads me to God. It's a consolation that leads me to me. So the key is that you understand he's not talking about non-spiritual. These are spiritual movements. And when it comes to Rule 5, when desolation comes, I might have to, I might have to change stuff in regards to non-spiritual consolations. So I might eat less. Whatever. Guys, it's about 10 to 9. I'd love to keep going, but Father Walt says, you guys, he usually leaves you out early. Is that what he says? I mean, that's what he does, right? So I can let you, I can let you go. So rule five is what you shouldn't do. What you shouldn't do in spiritual desolation. Rule six is what you should do in spiritual desolation. So rule five is what you shouldn't do. Don't make a change from what was proposed to you in the time of spiritual consolation. Stay faithful. <clears throat> um, and then and then uh, Rule 6 says, although in desolation we should not change our first proposals, first proposals, namely what came from uh, the consolation before, it is very dangerous, it's very advantageous, very advantageous to change ourselves intensely against the desolation itself by insisting upon prayer, more prayer, more meditation, more examination, and upon extending ourselves in some suitable way of doing penance. So he, what he's saying, what he's saying is, in times of desolation, we might have to change some things. Um, we, we, we don't change what was proposed to us, but we need to change by going against desolation. That's a good thing, guys. So spiritual desolation is from the enemy. Spiritual desolation is from the enemy. So what do you do? You do the opposite of what it's saying. Ignatius's words are ad contra. I'm sorry, adjure contra. To do the contrary. If it makes you, if it makes, if it, if it is making you less attracted to prayer, I'm going to pray five more minutes. 
If in prayer, when you're doing your holy hour, and 50 minutes comes last, I'm going to quit early. No, I'm going to do an hour and five minutes now. Shut up. The enemy has to leave you if it in fact, him showing up makes you go to Jesus more. You now have him in a conundrum. Let's pray in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you, everyone. Good to be with you.